Mahai. It's me, Bam. And it's me, Abba. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Nostalgic. Yeah. It's green. It's green code. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and I'm wearing tiny black sunglasses and a letter. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm in the matrix. In the matrix. Honestly, Ben has this like um, spy fantasy. Like Ben wants to be um, uh, like a hacker spy. And I think it's like, Ben, give yourself five years. You'll be like there. Oh, I, and now more than ever. Wait, should we even talk about it, Abba? Talk about what? That. Well, that review. Oh no. yeah, we should talk. About okay, it. we should. Okay, good, good, good. Because yeah. we, and for the most part, I feel like mm-hmm. people who listen to our podcast like it. Like, yeah, I yeah, couldn't yeah. imagine someone devoting even twenty yeah. minutes to a podcast and not liking it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But wait, did you? Why you got a mean review? Got a mean. We got a mean mm. review. But that's yeah. like it's a rite of passage, you know. I do feel yes absolutely actually I will say Trina I remember this was a few months ago but um you tweeted something about chosen family like saying that like you needed more people to rate and like comment about it yeah like 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 bigots horrible people truly like yeah there was a time it was when and I don't know if this happened to you because I know that you were recently featured on the apple homepage. Um, but obviously when you are featured on the Apple homepage, like a lot of new people discover you. Um, so, um, when we were featured on the homepage, like we got a whole bunch of new listeners, but we also got a bunch of new haters too. Um, so there was like, there was like an influx of like people just giving like one star or zero. I don't remember if zero stars is an option, but like, just a bunch of one stars and I'm like there's I'm sorry but there's no way like even if you listen to it and don't like it there's no way that you would leave a one like you really have to go out of your way to leave a one star reading and I just felt that it was like probably people who just saw like something LGBTQ themed on the homepage and was just like one star one star mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly what it is i know exactly like i think that that's the thing it's like a double-edged sword it's like more visibility is great because obviously you get more listeners you get yeah. like more traction but then yeah like the other side of it is just like the assholes come out of the woodwork and of they course really they're not do. listening like they don't know what the fuck the podcast is about no they don't yeah. like they even don't just the other day like last year um at just for laughs they had set up this sort of like talk show in the hotel bar that was hosted by Guy Branham. Um, and I was like one of the guests. And then they posted the video like many months later. And I just have, I don't even know how, but I happened to catch it on YouTube like two weeks ago. And like the comments on that YouTube video are just like the meanest, most horrible. I mean, it doesn't affect me, but it's just crazy how mean it is. Like, really really mean yeah yeah that people go out of their way to be that mean and that evil it's like sick and i really it is crazy 
Yeah, I have one video. I don't have much like on YouTube, but I have one video just more in the in just in terms of like getting bookings and like sometimes you never know who finds you. Um, and I have one video that I like titled like transgender stand-up comedian, not because I would ever use that weird phrasing for myself, but just because sometimes I know there are producers who are looking for a trans comedian. And so like that will come up in the search. But then I think there are these people who are literally like transphobic, but they're looking for trans content just to leave yeah. horrible comments yeah. on. Yeah, so. it's, it's so gross. But honestly, fuck them. Their lives are absolutely trash. That's for the sure thing. Sure. And it's, like, it's not, not at all. Like, we, I'm not going to humanize any of these hateful people. Like, they don't deserve that. But it is like, I have no choice but to just like pity that behavior. Like, it's just yeah. so... It's just so weak and small and it just like anyone who like perpetuates that it's like oh my god to live in that mind like i'm sorry truly like ugh, disgusting and, fuck, and you know what and it's really it because it's like you, we touched on it before trana and abba like you it's like when you kind of leave a niche community or you leave like you kind of leave I, like okay like for instance like a show that trana um, runs in Montreal, a queer stand-up staple, um, Stand Back, which is, like, an iconic show. I mean, it's still happening in our hearts, even if it's not happening IRL. But great, great show. And it's, like, a show like that is, like, so safe and, like, there's an emphasis on no hate speech and it's a safe space for all. And then when I, when I, would, when I left Montreal and started doing shows in Toronto and started doing I don't know, for lack of a better word, like normie, normie like, shows, yeah. Shows, yeah. Like you really do find there's like okay, yeah, there's less of a sense of safety, and I feel like my art, I guess my comedy, is now being looked at not as stand up, but now it's like there's this like opaque barrier that the audience now has to like power through, and it's like when people are leaving comments on like our podcast or whatever they don't even like think to look past that like barrier. They're just like, they just see it and they're like, Oh yeah, I hate it. And yeah, 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 yeah. it's like expel yeah. that. Um, disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. And you know, but you know what? That's it. They get no more airtime. No more airtime. On any. And one day, you know what? One day we're going to do an episode and we're going to be like, you know what? We're nostalgic for them because they don't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they don't exist anymore. Because that's how, that's the format of the pod. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. But we have, oh my goodness. I mean, uh, if you haven't guessed already, yeah. I'm sure people, there's, there's, a, I bet there's an overlap. Like if you, I'm sure if you're aware of this podcast, you've, you, you're aware of uh, Trana Wintour's work. Absolutely. Um, she's iconic Montreal Canadian stand-up icon i'd say oh my really? god thanks i'd say so <laughs> i absolutely i absolutely would say so before i started comedy i already knew your name oh my god like, well yeah. thank you I, I that really means a lot i don't know i think like part of like doing so little over the last few months has like created this imposter syndrome in me which i've never had before you know like i've always had a confidence in in what i do like a confidence that i feel like I needed to be able to do this. So I'm, you know, I'm not an egomaniac, but I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, but lately, I don't know, I've just really been feeling like an imposter syndrome, but thank you for saying that. 
I know what you mean. Like it's especially because you like definitely have like over the past year, like you've you've fostered this community in Montreal of like shows. I mean, like Tranavision and like Stand Back are like iconic staples there. Thanks. I'd say. Thanks. So it's like when you have those platforms where people come. Like Tranavision, people come to see you, you know, and that's like your show. And it's like that show is always so much fun to do because the people there were like, like in yeah, Montreal, well, that was always my everybody goal. knows you. Yeah. Well, no, that's really not. That's really not true. Um, but it's you know, oh, it, I, I it mean, was anyone starting... who matters. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> anyone who matters. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, I don't feel like I, for me, it was ever like a conscious, like community building thing, but I just wanted to do shows that people were going to be able to come to and just feel really good, you know, for like an hour or two and just, you know, just leave feeling happy, you know? And I think that in that spirit, like it just, it's sort of like, even in our own personal lives, like we all attract people for different reasons. And I think like I've attracted an audience of just really loving, caring, fun and smart people, you know, like, which I'm really, really grateful for. No, any, anyone who knows you, anyone who likes your work is definitely like just a great person, like a person that <laughs> I definitely like, that I definitely respect. So I, I, I think you're doing the damn thing. Thanks. Thanks. That really means a lot. But again, because I think that's how I've lived my life. Like I'm, you know, a triple water sign. I can see through everyone a mile away. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I don't have time for like the superficial, you know? And like, even when it comes to performance, I want to go in deep with my audience, you know? Like I want to feel that connection. Uh, no, of course. And like, it makes so much sense that you'd feel some sort of variation of imposter syndrome when like you're not getting that connection. Cause like every, I feel like I did like two or three online comedy shows that were like supposed to be stand up, right. And I got like negative feelings from it. It's, like it like took away yeah, from my, I know my life source. Yeah. I know what you mean though. It, it's been tricky. The, the live stuff, you know, the live streaming shows, I will say I've enjoyed stuff that I've seen. Like there's definitely live stuff that I see and I enjoy it. Just me personally, when I do it, I realized I think in in core that my favorite thing about comedy is the live performance. Yeah, it's that back and forth. Like comedy more, even more than music, you know, like, cause you can do music alone, you know, like, or with your band, you don't, like, obviously it's better when you have an audience, but comedy is like you're waiting for the laugh like that laugh is part of the process it's part of the art like the audience is is in it with you you know like I feel like it's one of the art forms that like you really can't do without the audience like because when you're doing it like online like as a live stream like you know where your punchline is and then you just take a pause because you're hoping people are laughing at home that are watching but you can't hear them so it's 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 a strange process. And imagine like they're not laughing at home. So they're yeah, they watching might not it be. and all they see is just like <laughs> <laughs> you like Yeah, I'm just like, like, <laughs> 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 like, 
but I mean, sorry, Abba, you were saying something. No, I was just gonna say, like, hopefully, when all of this is over, it's like we can interview you again, and it'll just like be a completely different tone of like we're all back to doing comedy live, and we're happy, and we're thriving. Cause like I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like I really don't. <laughs> I know. Like I'm just getting so yeah. bored. You know. Um, yeah. It's like every day is Groundhog Day, and even though you know Montreal, and I know in Toronto too now, like things have you know opened up a bit more. Like there is more freedom, but I don't feel it like it's safe I feel like things are moving too fast you know we all know that it's like economy first it's money over people and so it it doesn't make me want to like I'm not gonna go to a bar right now like I'm just so I still feel trapped mm-hmm in my mind I'm in stage one in my mind I'm like yeah. in a state of emergency like <laughs> I'm it is. It does feel, especially like I live off a busy street, mm-hmm. and there are so many more. And I've mentioned this before in the pod, but there are just so many more patios now. So it's like there's more people like on the street, and like it just feels like people are real because it's stage what stage three. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. Like I find the stage thing is really unclear. Um, but I'm with ABBA. I'm like, it, we're, it's still a state of emergency, people. Like, let's calm down. Just wear your mask. Oh, oh my, God. please wear it. And you know what? I'm going to say it. Like, masks are pretty. And sometimes I see, like, I lit- I saw this, I saw this guy and he was, it, the mask was a very, it was like an ox blood, kind of like rusty ox blood and you there was like gray like heather gray stitching and i was like that's a really nice mask and it complimented his outfit and i was like you know what that and in that moment i was attracted yeah Yeah, like that's like a nod to emo also what do you mean ox blood and then gray stitching okay fallout (laughs) boy okay fallout boy like i love that he was yeah and (laughs) i love that just like now you can like go out without being like without running into people you know, or even if you do, like they might not recognize you, so you don't have to stop and say hi or anything. Like I love that. You know what I love? Because I put on my like, I put on my oh sunglasses my God, and my mask and my headphones. Yes. So it's like, <laughs> like and you feel invisible to yeah. the world. It and feels kind of, kind of like that. twisted. Yeah. I like it. No, it's nice. And also like I've gone to the habit when I go out to like walk my dog, I have like Chip around my mouth, and I'm like, I feel like a, a little bit of a, a cowboy. It's it's punky. It's very like it's punk up. cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god! I Speaking of um punk, <laughs> how are you gonna how are you gonna loop this back? How are you gonna loop this back? <laughs> great, thing, great segue. But I mean, well, is there punk influence in our subjects discography? Um, I honestly, I would not be surprised. Well, I would not be surprised. So our, our guest, <laughs> um, do I, I, we're going to say, you say it. No, you, okay. Well, today we're talking about the one and only Madonna. Uh, Madonna. And it's I, about time. It's about time. And there are punk influences actually, because she came to New York city in the late seventies. Um, as, as a dancer um, and then sort of became absorbed in like the punk, you know, club scene um, and was in a few, you know, sort of punk slash new wavy kind of bands 
where she like learned to play the drums and learned to play guitar and was playing, you know, like CBGB and like all of those other New York, you know, legendary dives and, and underground places. So absolutely, there's a punk beginning um, for Madonna, for sure. I love, okay, that's incredible. I wish I would have met Madonna at that time. Yeah, and it almost feels, sorry, what were you saying, Ben? I was just going to say a brunette. Yeah, brunette girl from the Midwest. And it's interesting. (laughs) You should say that because there's this really amazing documentary that came out around the time that she was promoting Ray of Light. And it was a documentary that MTV made and it's called Madonna Rising. And it's her and Rupert Everett, who was a close friend of hers at the time. And they're going around New York City and revisiting all of the early day haunts. So they go and revisit her like early apartments, the like music studio that they used to rehearse in. And it's so moving because she remembers all of it. But then you see these apartments that she was living in and she talks about how like, her apartments would always get broken into. Like she was living in like really smaller conditions and it was a really terrifying time. And hearing her talk about that, you you get a sense of how innocent she was when she first arrived in New York. Like she sort of had to go through these like spirit breaking events, um, including sexual assaults and having her stuff stolen and like living in these just really scary places feeling so unsafe and like I'm not surprised that she became so hardened you know as a person but I do think that you met her when she first arrived in New York like there was this sort of like doe-eyed you know innocent that has you know definitely been lost sure yeah and I mean you're even like talking about arriving in New York in the in that time like in the 70s and 80s like New York was burning like it was on fire New York was not a good place at all with the AIDS epidemic and then also like cocaine like it was it was truly not a good place to be so I can only imagine like how hard it is to make a living just as like a woman alone but then on like being a musician it's like how do you how do you get a leg up edgewise like I I can't imagine the amount of like I don't know like strife you just have to you have to have such a a solid foundation of hope and really like really believe in yourself to make it those situations because so many people slip through the cracks yeah and to be honest like and I'm not saying this in like a shady way but I don't think that any of like if you threw Ariana Grande in New York City 1978 she wouldn't have lasted a week <laughs> you know like absolutely Madonna toughed it out for I like five years before she made her yeah. break five years of like you know, just scrounging and hustling and no connections and no wealthy family and nothing, no one to rely on but herself arriving in New York with literally like $35 in her pocket. Like none of these, you know, Disney girls today would survive five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. She really like clawed her way in. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said too about the fact that she was able to create like this persona, like this this iconic persona for herself. When I guess a lot of industry girls these days, like th- they don't get that opportunity. It's like a lot of just being a plant. Like honestly, you get plucked um, from a very the ripe age of like probably twelve, thirteen, 
and then they groom you into being the type of pop star you want to be. But I guess Madonna never really experienced that in the early parts of her career. No, not at all. Right? Like, like, totally, like, totally self-made. And when her first album came out, like, she was, like, 25. You know, like, it's not... And she had that chance to, like... And she talks about it in the Britney Spears documentary for the record that she also has, like, a little cameo in. And and she kind of compares herself to Britney. And, you know, one of the biggest differences was that Madonna had those years to make mistakes and learn who she is and figure all of that stuff out and not do it on, like, a world stage. It's so crazy to me that, like, 25 seems like old to have your breakdown like Like, why did that seem old to me i was like wow that seems like pretty late and someone's like but no that's like yeah early there's been a few like cindy lopper was 29 when her first album came out gwen stefani was like 28 years old when tragic kingdom came out you know j-lo was 29 when on the sixth came out and you know it's not surprising that those women you know have been able to sort of keep themselves together a bit more than you know what you're describing ab of like being a 12 year old that's just sort of plucked by this industry and groomed and abused let's just be honest you know and turned into this thing like of course you're gonna break you know in that experience like it's just so damaging that's really madonna has had like this sort of like agency over her whole like over her like creativity in general that's always felt like i don't know like the sex book or even just like how she like i don't know changes her look up like a bunch i feel like now it's like let's to harken back to ariana grande if ariana grande like wore anything but her ponytail like people would be like look at this like like radical departure from what we're used to but like madonna would really switch it up like pretty often almost as if it were that were part of her like brand for sure and i think that it was i do think that like all of her evolutions have been genuine you know what i mean like especially like if we're talking about her career from like the beginning till like 2008 um, I think after 2008, she became more of a trend chaser than a trend setter. And this has been like the last 10 years of her career have been very different from the rest of her career. Um, but yeah, I think like also what in addition to like changing her look, like she was also changing her sound. Like every album is like its own universe, you know, whereas like now it's sort of like people just keep remaking the same album over and over again. Um, but with Madonna, it was like always a new set of producers. But also on that note, just like a quick side note, is that as much as Madonna would create like a new sound and a new visual expression for each album, each album, she basically worked with like one or two producers. There's like a couple of exceptions. Bedtime Stories had a lot of producers. But otherwise, it's like if you look at the credits on her albums, it's like it's always her and like one or two other people. It's not like what we see now where pop stars have like a writing team and producing team of like 10 people. And I think that Madonna doesn't get enough credit in that sense. Like she really did write those songs. It wasn't just throwing her name on there. It's, there's two people listed on the credits. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And to go back to what you were saying about like um her, her reinvention, I will never, ever, ever forget being, I don't know how old I was. Let me check actually, but, um, when um, 
Ugh, fuck, why can't I remember what year it was? Well, tell me what the album is and I can tell you what year it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was um, Music, the music yeah, album. Yeah, the year 2000, it, yeah. Millennium Madonna. I, exactly. It was 2000. I, how old was I? I was probably five. But I remember Don't Tell Me came out and I had been already listening to Madonna. Like my parents love pop music. So I had already been listening to her. And when Don't Tell Me came out, I was shocked. I was goo. I was like this five-year-old, like, that's not Madonna. Like her, her branding is so strong um, that even like a five-year-old can tell when she's made a departure into like a new lane, a new aesthetic. That's how strong her, I think she is in her conception of like creating these universes and like her understanding of what she wants to put out to the world. Cause I remember just like genuinely being like oh my god this is madonna like you know at at the ripe age of five and i missed that you know like it was always so much like being a kid and being a madonna fan was so much fun because it was like every new era was like such a surprise and it was like what is she gonna do next and like i it was just so much fun like i still remember the day that ray of light came out i still remember when i saw like the frozen music video for the first time and like it was just like, I was just blown away. I was gonna say, cause like when, I feel like Ray of Light isn't that, cause was that after? Yeah, it was the project after Evita. Yeah, so like I feel, and oh my God. So it's kind of crazy that I'm mentioning even Lady Gaga in this conversation. Oh my God. But I found it, <laughs> oh my God. so, but here's the thing. I love, I love the energy and I love the arc of like, uh, like a Madonna going from Evita and then like, what's her album going to be next? And it's, and it was Ray of Light and it was great. And Ray of Light's my favorite Madonna. And that's the Madonna I kind of like, because the Frozen music video, I remember like being enchanted by that video as a yes. kid. It's like, oh, mes- the hair, the bur- the bird. Everything. It just, and it still really holds up. Honestly, like watching it now, it still feels so contemporary. And I will, and I will say this: there was, um, there was a oh my god, what Shakespeare is it? Um, <laughs> the Tempest. Okay, they, there was a Tempest, and it was with Helen Mirren, and the, and they ripped off the Frozen because the whole aesthetic for that movie was Madonna's Frozen. Like, yes. <laughs> well, it was also just like desert vibe, uh, but it they didn't do it, but. I feel like when people, I feel like Lady Gaga's stars born to Chromatica is nothing compared to Madonna's Evita to Ray of Light. And that yeah. Is what I want. But like, in what do you mean? Like, in what way? Like, what do you mean? I feel like it's so, it's like, I feel like Lady Gaga going from a star is born to Chromatica, like, that's not a cultural impact to me. Okay. But I feel like Madonna going from Evita to Ray of Light was. Right. Yeah. Is that bold? And oh my god! Well, I mean, I think one of the most important things about Evita coming first. So Evita was how I discovered Madonna. Um, that was like my first like Madonna love because when I was a kid, like my mom, like there was always music playing, but my mom was never like a specific fan of like any one person. So it's just like a more like generalized experience of music. It wasn't related to the personality of the artist. So when I was a kid, like, of course, I, like, knew some of the songs, but I didn't really have much of an idea of, like, who Madonna was. 
And I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch like Entertainment Tonight every night. And they're like in the lead up to Evita, there was all this promo. And I don't know what it was. It was like a queer calling. I'm like, mom, I need to see Evita. And I was like nine years old at the time. And I just felt it like so profoundly. I'm like, I need to see this movie. And then I did. And then I got like the soundtrack on cassette and I listened to that for like a year. And then I asked my mom, I'm like, does Madonna have any other albums? Um, <laughs> your mom's like, I'm going to blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, so then my mind was blown. And then I just became like more and more and more obsessed. But Evita was so important because Madonna literally had to like, learn to use parts of her voice that she had never used before. Like she had to go so much vocal training um, to be able to do Evita that it really changed the way that she sings and she became, you know, a- an even better vocalist and Ray of Light like totally likes that. Like vocals on Ray of Light been what they were if Evita had not happened. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause yeah. Like her music wasn't, Super singy singy. No, Ray of Light so many interesting things with her voice, like, even on the title track. Like, like when she goes, like, so yeah, it affords, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I also want to acknowledge, because you brought up the song, um, as soon as you started singing it, I had a flashback of her performing it at Oprah, on Oprah's show. And Oprah was dancing to it. And she was dancing like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oprah's going off. She's like, it was so funny. It was so funny. But I also, I also want to get into, like, you know, Madonna had such an international impact. My parents loved Madonna when they were living in Nigeria because my parents lived in Ghana. They lived in Nigeria. Then they moved here. And at the time when, like, you know, Madonna was on and poppin', Nigeria was on and poppin'. It was, like, in the 80s, 90s, and, like, people were truly blasting her music to the point where, like, holiday, oh, my God, you can't go to any African gathering, let alone Nigerian, Guinean, without hearing holiday. That was a huge hit in West Africa. And I think that, like, her, the that's a crossover that I don't think is happening these days. Like, yeah. People in Nigeria are not standing Ariana Grande the way that, you know, you know, her, her impact was truly unprecedented. I would yeah. go so far as to say. I, yeah. No, but Abba, I think you're right. And I think that that's why, like, you know, Madonna, especially now, like, which is kind of heartbreaking. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more in a little bit. But, you know, like she's making it so hard to be a fan of hers right now because she's just completely lost touch reality and I'll get into my theories about that later but I mean I think that because of how um unlikable she has become in the last 10 years that people do really forget the legacy and that bothers me because even though I'm a diehard fan and I can admit like what she has gotten wrong and I can admit that you know when I was a kid it was pure love and now it's like love hate but I what I don't think is fair is that like you can't you can't deny the legacy. And, you know, I would say before Madonna, you know, there was precursors, like she didn't in, totally invent the wheel. There was Debbie Harry, there was Grace Jones, there was Diana Ross, but Madonna 
created this, like, like you said, Abba, like this international level of reach that was completely unprecedented and just you know, as big as Debbie Harry and Grace Jones and even Diana Ross solo were big in their own ways, it wasn't the same thing. You know, like Grace Jones, Debbie Harry, and even Diana Ross, like were never spoken about in the same way that Elvis or the Beatles were spoken about. Madonna was the first woman to be spoken about in the same breath as the Beatles and Elvis. You know, like she really, really was the first to show that like you can be a female and you can be an international megastar, you know? And I think too, like why we're not seeing that so much anymore, like with more current pop stars is just that pop culture has become so fragmented. Like everyone, you know, sort of, everyone has their own playlists. Everyone curates what they're listening to. There's no more general experience of pop music, just pop culture in general. Like even when we were kids, like every summer there'd be the big hit of the summer. And whether you were a fan of the song or not, you would hear it all the time. Whereas in my life and in all of our lives, I don't hear songs that I don't like because I'm only listening to what I'm curating. I'm not exposed. And I think we do need to be exposed to the things we don't like also, you know? Yes. And you know what it is too? You know what? I feel like there is also this issue of genre and like everything is being put into subgenres. So it's not just pop music, it's bedroom pop and it's alternative pop and it's indie pop, it's study beats. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I said in an earlier episode. My band coach told me like you, anything you play on stage is going to be popular music unless you're playing like Egyptian folk, like freaking parade music anything you play on stage is popular music if it has more than like a a hundred thousand people listening to it that shit is popular you know and there's like this obsession with putting people into genres and so like I know that a lot of black artists do like pop music but they get relegated to R&B so I'm you know I'm curious as to like what um, this is not related to the last comment I just made, but like, I'm curious as to what Madonna's genre would be if she came out now, because she's done so many like bendy, like, like genre bending things, you know, like, so I, I'm curious as to what she'd be labeled. I feel like if Ray of Light came out today, it might even be like an alternative album, you know, because yeah, like, the production like, is like kooky. Yeah, it is. Like, it has like, 60s psychedelic influences on Ray of Light. Um, I think it's almost like you have to, if you're going to categorize Madonna, it's like you sort of, you have to categorize each album. Like there's just no way to just put one genre on her. Although obviously it would predominantly be pop. But I just remember, you know, like back in the day, like you'd have to listen to the radio for like an hour just to hear the one song that you wanted to hear. But it at least, like, I felt like I was taking in so much and I am even, like, nostalgic for the songs that I didn't like. Like, for the songs that I had to listen to in that hour, for the songs that I love. But I'm, like, I'm grateful that I kind of had to wait, you know? And because I just got a sense of, like, everything that was going on, you know? And I miss that. Because now I don't know what's going on, like, in a more general sense. 
you know what's funny? I know that every generation kind of has their vibe, their like aesthetic of music, of of like just whatever is happening in the zeitgeist. But like, I feel as though these days there are a lot of carbon copies of the same thing. And it's not about music. It's about acquiring like a fanship, like a fan base. And sometimes not even a fan base, but making quick money. I really think it's about making quick money. I like, think you're right. And didn't yeah. the, um, I think just recently, like the CEO or founder of Spotify was talking about that, like how it's like, he was almost saying, I didn't read the whole thing, but it was something along the lines of almost like, well, forget about albums, but just put out tracks, you know, just like, and I feel like everything is sort of made to be disposable. It's like, it's made to hold your attention for like five seconds and then you're bored of it and then you can put out another single. But like when I would get like a new album, like I still remember like running to the mall after school to get Madonna's music album. And, you know, that album kept me going for like a year. You know, like I would listen to it for a year. It was on like regular play in my room. Whereas now it's like, I'll you're so, you're so right. Life, and then I'm like kind of right. done with it. Yeah. Even if it's good too, like I'll listen to an album that's like amazing and I'll have like two days with it. And then maybe I'll pick two or three songs that I like that I'll incorporate into a playlist. But other than yeah. that, yeah, the experience of kind of sitting down and having a real relationship with an album for like a whole summer is something I'm definitely nostalgic for because like Arcade Fire was definitely like Suburbs. I, and this is like, I don't listen to that album a lot anymore, but I can definitely remember like a month where that was like the soundtrack to that month. And Trina, like you were yeah. saying, whether you like the music or not, it is kind of cool to have like a distinct memory of like a certain like landscape yeah. of music that's like specific to only yeah. that period exactly. of time. Like when that's I cool. was like when I was like in middle school, like it was all of that like, you know, faux emo punk, like faux punk like Avril Lavigne and some 41 and all of that stuff that I like hated. But now I like sometimes revisit it. And it like it just like it makes me laugh, like it makes me feel nostalgic. Like I and then I kind of realize that like whether I like it or not, like that music, like it stuck with me, you know, like it it was it was there. And I think also like Ben, what you're describing about like no longer having like a relationship to an album, I think part of it, like, especially when I was a kid, like I was like buying CDs and it's like I didn't have access to every album ever made. So like, you know, I had this CD, so I'm sticking with this CD for a while because I can't buy every album that exists. But whereas now when I'm on like Spotify, I can listen to like any fucking album I want. So I'm just like spoiled with choice and I just want to listen to everything. So you don't like cultivate that experience, that relationship with an album. You're absolutely right. Speaking about this relationship, like I remember Ezra um, Koenig of... Um, vampire weekend said like we have like a very weird way of listening to music these days where it's like i can't remember the word he used but it's just like um it's wishy-washy like you're yeah. right you definitely create a relationship with an album like i can remember when um i didn't have like before i had an ipod before i had access to streaming services music box was on repeat for me and i didn't like all the songs on music box i and I, I didn't know if i was a huge fan of mariah carey but I knew that I had to wait for my favorite singles right. off of the album. And it did create a relationship. It created 
it it I think it really did help tune my ear also. Yeah. Um, and the issue I'm having now with how how music is released is that albums used to really create a landscape. It used to create a, a landscape and um, a feeling, um, an aesthetic. It, there was, it felt like it had uh, like um, a foundation to it. And I'm not saying like albums like that aren't being released now. Like I think Fiona Apple absolutely oh did God. that, you know? And I think that um, Beyonce has done that with Lemonade, but it's almost like it's almost an issue created by the industry to keep artists under um their watch under their like their um surveillance because you can't be successful without the industry make it very hard yeah that's a really good point that's a I really do agree with that but I feel like for me it's like that's why like and I'm not I'm not a hipster in any way but like that's why like I still buy like vinyl like I like having the like physical object because it it just I don't know it helps with that relationship whereas like when you're listening when you're streaming to something it's so abstract you know like whereas like when I like take a record out and like put it on the turntable and I'm like you know like holding the album cover and like it just it creates this like physicality in the experience that for me like I really love and I've never like been able to like fully let go of um to me it's still really important you know like and even in quarantine, like something that I like started doing with a small group of friends was that instead of like a book club, we created like a kind of album club. So like once a week, someone chooses an album. And we like listen to the, we each take time to like listen to the whole album, like from beginning to end, like with no distractions, you just like sit and you listen to the album from beginning to end. And then we like get together once a week and like talk about the album and because I, I don't know, I, I feel like the album is such an important art form, you know? Yes. Trina, absolutely. Like, that's actually such a cool idea. And, oh, my God. That's, like, I hope people, like, start more of that. Because that's really cool. Yeah, I hope so, too. And, like, like, the little booklet that you pull out, and there's more photo yeah. shoots with the artist, like, different styling. And you're like, oh, more. Like, oh, my God. I mean, I like, still look at that, like. I love like packaging, you know, like I'm such a sucker for like beautiful packaging. And I think that for me, like that was what was so much fun also about Madonna is that Madonna is also fashion. And like, as a kid, like that, how, how else did I learn about who Jean-Paul Gaultier was? Like as a nine-year-old, it was because of Madonna, you know? So like Madonna also open as a kid like madonna opened up my world to fashion and art and film because that's where she was drawing all of her inspirations from you know um so i'm like you know madonna was really like a teacher for me in that sense like she's especially for a kid like she's a gateway to so many other things i absolutely agree with you i don't think if there was a if there was no madonna there would be no ariana grande like i her influence on on pop has been so profound and going back to fashion like think about like the lace glove like the pearl necklace the the beauty mark the beauty mark with with madonna too it's like i think her more so than any other pop star can think of it's like I can picture like an avatar or like a doll for every era. It's like when I, th- it's like when her early Madonna, like crimped hair, po- poofy skirt, lace club, pearls, 
and it's yeah. like and we progress and then there's like more catholicism like a little bit more of a little miss senorita experience and then it's like there and there's i just like that's really cool to me how it's like each of it is like she's getting different references right right. that's but again like that's like it's still a template that every female in mainstream pop is still following you know like every even though we're not when you look at ariana or even taylor swift like and gaga to a certain extent like i think gaga's transformations are a bit more drastic from album to album than like ariana grande but there's still this idea that for each album you sort of have to create a unique aesthetic you know, and that like yes. literally goes back to Madonna. Yes. And and I think that with every album she's had, I'm thinking particularly though of Hard Candy in 2008. Like, right? I love Hard Candy. Like, there's been, I, I, know, I, Trina, I know it's not your favorite. You know what? I, I, I shouldn't well, say. I shouldn't say. I like. I'm curious I, to hear you share your thoughts on that. So, so what? What I <laughs> so about hard candy the thing for me is like when that came out i was in grade eight like i was experiencing a sexual awakening i was a huge fan of twilight like let's be real i was like like i was i was going through like a true transformation into becoming like an adult and basically the thing about the thing that was so seminal about hard candy for me is um four minutes and i know it's such like if to everyone it's probably such like a throwaway song or whatever but for me, it was on the charts. It was on the radio constantly. The music video for it, though, was so sleek and so sexy. Nothing like Madonna had done before. And as a kid, I'm obviously focusing on the trends that are happening. The trend that's happening is what she's exhibiting in the music video. And so for me, I remember watching it and being like, this is the sleekest, most sexiest shit. This is the type of aesthetic that I associate with my coming of age slash like sexual awakening sometimes you know if that makes sense no, it does. I, well, I love that so much because I I find that so fascinating because I'm just amazed that anyone who was in grade eight at the time would have been paying attention to Madonna in that way but but, but I love that I'm so glad because I I mean like I feel like I was just like a very like boy crazy kid from like so early on. So like, I feel like, you know, there was this sexual awakening for me too that was like very much related to Madonna. Like when I had discovered Anita and then I was just like devouring everything else that I could get my hands on. The video store near us had her girly show concert VHS tape. And I had like a little TV and VCR in my room and I put that on and it is the most sexually charged concert you will ever see. The concert opens with a topless dancer on a pole. There's an orgy in the concert. It's like guy on guy, girl on girl. It's like everyone is hot and sweaty. It's in Australia. They're outside. Like it is the most erotic show ever. And I just remember just being like stunned, you know, like stunned. Like I'd never witnessed anything like that before especially in terms of like its sexuality. Um, so I'm amazed that, that that Madonna was still having that effect on, you know, kids like up until 2008. Because for me, Hard Candy was like, that was the moment where Madonna for the first time ever was like behind on a trend instead of ahead of it. So like, actually I was just listening. Yeah, well, because, well, 
you know, like with Timbaland. Did you got thrown like, off a horse? <laughs> no, that was Confessions. That was like two years before. Oh, right, right, right. I always yeah. conflate that, those two. I think or they actually were like, like, you know, almost back to back. But I, but Confessions to me was like, it was like a new mega era. Like Hung Up was the biggest hit of Madonna's career. Like imagine after, oh wait, imagine being 25 years into your career when you've had like 30 massive hits and you have your biggest of all 25 years in yeah like that's yeah yeah yeah. no it it was such when okay the first time I heard hung up like honestly I might cry I got chills when you reminded me this is the thing in 2005 when this came out I was in grade five I was truly I didn't have access to like um iPods weren't a thing yet like streaming services weren't a thing I was downloading shit off of LimeWire so I'd go on iTunes see what was trending in the pop charts hung up was always like number one like it was always like rated extremely high so I I downloaded it and I remember just like do you, do you remember playing songs on like the Windows um music player and it would be it would like show you the thing it would be like time goes by I remember oh my god I still remember the way it would move when like the TikTok would start and then oh my god and then watching the music video for me, I was in 2005. I was, uh, how old was I? 10 years old. So still not yet going through like a sexual, sexual awakening, but like I'm beginning to understand like aesthetics, beginning to understand like motifs. And she did that motherfucking thing in the hung up video. Yeah. She yeah, really I did. I feel I like still think about it till this day. Imperial phase for her. Like, it was so amazing to witness that, especially like as a big fan, especially because her album before that American Life, which I really love, but was a flop by Madonna's standards at the time. So Confessions and Hung Up was like this major comeback. And it was like, it was like she was bigger than ever before. And I, I it was just such a moment. But then for me to go from that to Hard Candy, and I think for a lot of the hardcore fans, it was like this letdown because you know, when Timbaland was working with like Nelly and Justin Timberlake and making all those hits, that was like two years before. And then when Madonna did it in 2008, it just felt like she was getting to that too late. And it really felt like for the very first time in her career, it felt like she had like missed the trend. You know, she was like slightly behind instead of being ahead. So I appreciate Hard Candy now. Like it's actually an album that I think is really enjoyable. And the tour for that was phenomenal. But like that was the beginning of Madonna sort of no longer being ahead of the curve. And to be honest, like since that album, she's never recaptured it. Like the album that came after that was and it was like once again just sort of like it was like watered down EDM trends and it wasn't bringing anything unique to the table, you know, where like Ray of Light, she like, you know, William Orbit, who had been around for a long time, but who had never produced something like so mainstream. And she found like Mirwes for music. Like she always would, she would always find like who was underground, like who was doing something really fresh that no one else was doing, and bring that to the mainstream. But everything since two thousand eight has really just been about following trends, and and I, yeah, it's been a rough ten years for Madonna fans, honestly. <laughs> it definitely the mythology of Madonna, like definitely took over like has taken the wheel like i think everything madonna does now it's like 
it's just kind of like if you want to, but like we don't. <laughs> so last year she came out with her most recent album, Madame X, which was a hot mess. Um, and the whole the whole persona and the eye patch and like it was just so ridiculous. So like in my comedy sets, like Madame X was like a part of my material, and like I'd be doing shows in front of queer audiences and asking them if they even knew about the album and they didn't even know about it. Like, can you imagine queer people no longer knowing that Madonna has a new album out? Like, people do not care. But the reason that people do not care anymore is just that she has really alienated everyone. Like, she is... I think she's in a really dark place, personally. I think it started with her divorce from Guy Ritchie in 2010-ish. I think that was a major and whole thing with her son. Yeah, and then that, and I think that that was like so public. I feel like yeah, it was really public. But I'm sure that she's also a nightmare. Like I'm sure that she's a nightmare person to live with. And I yeah, I will say I do, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod, but I do see a lot of myself in her daughter Lourdes. Um, I truly always have. And I do think um, that I kind of look like her a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Maybe, but I do. I always found it so interesting to me that she was the one who was kind of stayed to like, like not like attached to Madonna's hip or anything. Like they don't have that relationship. But I always thought that she'd be the one to kind of like, be like, no, no, thank you. Move away. Yeah. Well, no, I do think they have a real bond. And I don't think Madonna has been a horrible mother her whole life. Like, when you look at Madonna in Ray of Light time, her groundedness, and granted, it's not your average person's groundedness, but for her, it was, like, it really was this moment of spirituality, of wanting to go deeper, of being more grounded. I do believe that at that time, she was a great mom. but what's crazy is that, and I've like, you know, I've been a Madonna fan my whole life. Like I have watched every single interview with Madonna, like multiple times. Like when you listen to Madonna talk now, it's literally not the same person. It's like somewhere along, I'm saying this in a shady way, but I do theorize that at some point she probably went through some kind of stroke. Like I do think something happened to her. Uh, or some kind of hormonal thing through menopause that like, you know, created some kind of like brain chemistry shit, which happens, you know, like I'm not saying it's the ageist or mean, like it just, it's a, you know, because she got paired with maybe her schedule. And I do think that like, because for me, it's like the biggest question that I kept having was why is Madonna like, she's achieved more than anyone has ever achieved in this industry. Like no one can touch that. But why does she still feel the need to like be considered along with like 25 year old artists, but it's an addiction. You know, it is an addiction. Oh yeah. I think some of it is power. It's like when you've had a hold over the music industry like that for like most of your career, of course you're going to like want to try, like she got her butt done. That honestly, try not that. <laughs> but it's that the worst job I've ever seen. Like, and she has and access. She has so much money. 
women in music. Like, I don't understand why she got this done in a back alley. Like, it doesn't make sense. And you like, know what? She probably did that on purpose. No, why? I think probably Rectangular. because she wanted, maybe she, if, if it was a good buy. No, I don't think so, Ben. I think that she's for that she's too vain for that okay fair but to I be honest, that well. like, there's a part of me that and why i feel like concern for her is that to me like the butt implant and all of the other shit that she's been getting done like to me because the work is so bad like to me it is self-mutilation you know what i mean like i think this is something coming from a lot of pain and a lot of a kind of dysmorphia, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that this is just- A dysmorphia, for sure. Wanting to stay young. I think this is something so much deeper than that. And um, actually, can I read you guys one thing? So I came a little bit, I came a little bit prepared, okay? Because I had a feeling we would be heading to this territory. And because like getting, like getting, getting back to what you were saying, Abba, and like, like just this sort of, what fame sort of does to people, especially on that level, in terms of like creating an addiction to power, an addiction to your identity as like number one. So a little while ago, I was reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And there, there's, there's this part where he talks about the connection between ego and fame. And when I read this paragraph, it suddenly all became clear to me. I'm going to read it, and I think this is what Madonna's situation is. I think this is what it is. And I think this applies to a lot of other people at the end of the day, okay? So here we go. The absurd... <laughs> the absurd um, over-evaluation of fame is just one of the many manifestations of egoic madness in our world. Some famous people fall into the same error and identify with the collective fiction, the image people in the media have created of them, and they begin to actually see themselves as superior to ordinary mortals. As a result, they become more and more alienated from themselves and others, more and more unhappy, more and more dependent on their continuing popularity. Surrounded only by people who feed their inflated self-image, they become incapable of genuine relationships. Mm. Yes, you, oh my God. Thank you so much for making that connection because you're absolutely right. There's no way that she can't be experiencing that. I think she is just in this space where like she's no longer operating like a regular citizen. And that's what like, that's what the music industry has capitalized off of for so long. And I think that's why there's more of like this push of like death to the celebrity. Like, you know, like these people are truly living in a world of their own creation and they can do because they've created this world where they're not connected to regular humans. They're doing so much harm without even knowing. So I think the, issue that I have with Madonna now too is like you know when I was younger I really loved her I really really did and I didn't know much about her except for what I would see on VH1 and like MTV but then Instagram is introduced and Twitter is introduced and YouTube everything's so accessible and she's doing more interviews and the issue I found with her was like you know she adopted children from Africa and the way she spoke about them was like this white saviorism like like that was her giving back like she was going to be you know, like she was, she even said that she was giving back in a way. It's like, why would you adopt a child to give back? Why would you not adopt a child because you love the child? 
right? Know, like, oh my god! You know? Ugh, like, I think you're so no. right, and I think like, that that's, I think that's why there was such a backlash. I think at the time the the backlash was not expressed in the way that you just expressed it because what you just expressed makes so much sense. Um, I think at the time people just wanted to attack Madonna. They were just seeing the power, you know. Um, but I do think you're right. And I do think that like, you know, even just in that paragraph, like there's this idea that like, it's not even just about Madonna as the individual celebrity, it's about celebrity culture as a whole. And it is a reflection of our like capitalistic misplaced values, you know, that like we have come to look at celebrities and think that this is what we need to achieve to be worthy. This is what we need to achieve to you know, just feel any sort of accomplishment. And it's all just an illusion. Um, and the weird part for Madonna, I think, is that, like, she had, like, one thing that I can say for sure is that in her career, she had total agency. Like, there was no one behind her calling the shots. But she projected this image that the media supported and inflated. And it's like, instead of remaining sort of true to her vision, she got caught up in the way that the media supported this view of herself you know so it's like it's really it's like she fell in love with the mirror image of herself versus the real self and I think from then onwards it's just total confusion and there's no longer anything real in her life and she's just like grasping at straws and I think all of that is compounded by the fact that she's 62 now and there is ageism in this industry there is like unmitigated misogyny and there's no question but I think when she because she often Whenever she's criticized, her go-to argument is always like, you're being ageist, you're being a misogynist. And there is a part of the criticism that is directed to her that is rooted in that, and she is partly right. But I think that she is side of the bigger picture, and it's like, no, Madonna, the criticism is more that you are coming from this strictly ego place, and that's why nothing you're putting out is resonating, you know? Because I think that as, as much as she was coming from an ego place back in the day as well, there, it was still coupled with this genuine curiosity and creativity. Whereas now yes. it's just like sort of pure yes, ego. Yes. And of course it doesn't resonate. Said it. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're so right. Because I think a part of like still having to build the rest of your career as she was up until like, I'd say like 15 years ago is like, you you have to keep being fresh you have to stay with the pulse but it's like when you are the pulse when you are the star you're the voice you're the one that people look up to it's like I I understand why she would look towards just following trends as opposed to continuing to create them you know but I think that also like we have to acknowledge that the kind of fame and success that she sustained for especially the first 30 years of her career like that's unrealistic like when you look at anyone who's had a career as long as hers, like if you look at Cher, if you look at even like people like Bruce Springsteen or the Rolling Stones, like their careers have had commercial peaks and dips. Whereas Madonna, it was like the top straight for 30 years. There were little dips, but they were very minor and they never compromised her identity as a star. You know, like whereas Cher, like when Cher was in her like valley, she would be like totally disregarded. Like Madonna never did that. So it's like, but Madonna, you also need to understand that, like, being at number one for even 10 years straight is, like, wow. But, like, it's just not sustainable. And, like, 
you've reached a point now where like your legacy and who you are speaks for itself. Like you can just make the shit you want to make because now I think one of the saddest parts is that she has alienated the diehard fans. Like the diehard fans are jumping ship and no one gives a shit about the legacy. So it's like, she has neither anymore. Like she's burned it all down. No, truly. (laughs) You're absolutely right in that. Like, it's like this whole, it is kind of tragic when you think about how her careers, like, I feel like what she's become is so antithetical from like the Madonna that she came up as like, which is really kind of unfortunate because like when you think about like the sex book era how it's like that I feel like she feel I feel like the same type of critique or the same type of criticism she getting she's getting now I feel like she's traumatized by the sex book era and she thinks any criticism regarding like how she's dressing or whatever is like you were saying trana ageist and sexist but it's like she's so out of touch that you're right she doesn't see the bigger picture and like as a result it's like if she saw the bigger picture i think she'd know that she could just create like whatever she wanted like an ep of four songs that she just produced with yeah. some freak that she found and, and the reason love, and it might be we'd great. love it and it would be and it would be great and i think her biggest fear of doing that is that it wouldn't reach the main it wouldn't be number 1 you know, like it wouldn't be popular. Number one, that's not the clout or whatever she should be striving for. Like that doesn't, number one, in Madonna's case, that doesn't really mean, that won't Especially mean now when the charts don't mean anything. Yeah. Like they don't mean anything anymore. You know, like. Say, like the song is charting and it's like some like EDM <laughs> song. I'm like, I've never heard this before. Yeah, life. exactly. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. But I think like what's sad and like, yeah. and I agree with you, Ben, it's like, that's what I, I think that's what all her real fans want to see is like, we do just want to see her get in a room with like some underground amazing producer who's doing wild stuff and just see her like unleash all of that. And I think the reason for me why that's so disappointing that she doesn't is that again, it goes back to the fact that like, while everyone loves to look at Madonna as like a curator and say that like, she didn't really do much besides curate. I know that that's not true. Like, she was always so involved and like there was a real creativity and I know that she could still do that. Like, I know that that's still in her. Um, And that's what's sad that she doesn't do that. You know, it really, it just, the whole thing is so sad. And like, I think beyond that, it's like, it also transcends itself into like just recently, like she posted that thing from that like quack doctor about like Corona being this like conspiracy and there's a cure, but like the doctor who she was like, quoting or sharing was like this like homophobic nightmare and it's like madonna like jesus christ and like i honestly like i never thought that i would like ever witness this like because madonna was always so in control and like she was even cold and like calculated and like but there was an intelligence that i think has just gone out the window and, you know, I think what you're speaking to also is, like, this intersection of um, fame and just, like, getting into old age. And I feel like there's this disconnect with people who are over 50 where, like, it's hard for them to discern news that is real and news that is fake. And I also think because she's a, such a celebrity, um, like, they have access to these doctors that we don't even know fucking exist. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, how do you think J-Lo looks so good? Yeah, you 
know? And it's like, of course she's going to listen to this fake ass doctor. And on top of that, it's like, I think that's why at the end of the day, superstardom always comes back to bite the superstars in the butt because it's like you, you start to it like exactly like what you, uh, you, you quoted by Tolly, like you start to just alienate the people who made you, who put you where you are. And now your fan base is muddled. That's the issue. She has a muddled fan base. I think one of the saddest things about her, and I see parallels, um, like with Trump, and I guess like the parallels that I'm seeing are just what you're describing, Abbott, sort of like, it's her generation, you know, maybe it's a Leo thing too, but like, she will not, she doesn't apologize. You know what I mean? Like, she can never admit when she's wrong. Like, you know, she could have just said, I'm so sorry for posting that video. Someone sent me this video of this doctor, and it seemed convincing to me. And I should have done more research before posting it. And I'm really sorry if that caused harm to my fans. Like, you guys know me. Of course, I do not support a raging homophobic monster. You know, like, it could have just been that. But instead, the only thing she said was, like, she did take it down. But then she posted this thing the next day that was just, like, it was something kind of unrelated. But she was, like, P.S. Like, I will support and, you know read into what I want to read into, you know, like, and that's been her whole attitude, her whole life is just this, like, and that's why, like, she has lost so many friends over the years, like, she doesn't have a lot of, like, longtime close friends, like, and I think it's because she's so alienating as a person, she's just so, can never admit that she's wrong, and I think that it's really sad to see that, you know, like, even when, like, her last tour was, like, I heard it was a really brilliant show, but like there was a lot of, um, she was going through like a lot of health issues during the tour, like, which has never happened to her before in her life, like injuries, like, again, I think it's just being 62, but like pushing your body, thinking you're still 40 and injuring yourself and harming yourself. And she just can't acknowledge reality, you know? And so she kept doing this tour, but like what was happening in the tour is that because instead of taking doctor's orders and just canceling the rest of the tour, like she kept going. But like every other show, like hours before the show, she'd cancel. And like fans had like traveled for the show and like spent money. And like, you're just pissing everyone off because you can't just acknowledge what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like she's suffering in this prison of her own making. Like it's it's like absolute power destroyed. Absolutely. Like but, she's yeah, exactly, I, 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 yeah. and she achieved yeah. absolute power. Like in the industry, like she achieved it, you know. And I, I, I go so far as to say, like, I think that she's just coming to this point where her body's deteriorating, and we all have to get to that point, and we're all gonna I'm see even it at and- that point. Like <laughs> right? God, like every day, I'm sinking. <laughs> I- will not acknowledge it. A lot of older people do this. I see my dad doing this all this all the time where he will not acknowledge that he's not young and that the things that he thinks thinks may be outdated and you know his body can't do the things that he used to and yet he's still going to push himself to do those things. And it's like imagine having as much power as Madonna and thinking that you can kind of just like still operate as like you said, as if you're 40. It's like your body's your body's going to betray you every time. I, I think we learn anything from Madonna. It's like being a major celebrity and being a Leo as well is a toxic combination. It's toxic. But like she is like the quintessential Leo. Like when I think of like Leo personality traits, like she's my go-to Leo template, you know? 
And it's it's not a coincidence that so many of like the biggest megastars are Leos. It's not a coincidence, you know, like it's just part of their nature. And I just think like if Madonna had just really invested in her real life as much as she invested in the illusion of herself as the queen of culture, then things would be very different because you know, there are older celebrities who granted have lost touch with reality in their own ways, but it's not to the same extreme. Like if you look at someone like Cher, like Cher is still fun. Cher, Cher fucks up, you know, like on Twitter, she'll say the wrong thing. She'll make the wrong comment, but she'll come online. And this even, I had a direct interaction with Cher on Twitter and like she apologized um, because she, made this joke that was really not transphobic but I just thought the joke was like a little bit ridiculous so like I don't even remember what she said but I quoted her tweet and I just wrote trans rights as a joke like I was the one making a joke out of her tweet and then but she saw it and she thought that I thought she was being homophobic and she was like she was like, I'm not being transphobic. I'm sorry that you saw it that way. And I'm like, Cher, I'm sorry. You don't need to be sorry. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and my heart like, I felt so bad. I'm like, Cher, I was just making a joke. Like, don't worry. I know you're not transphobic. But like, she'll always apologize. She'll be like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm a dumb bitch. I'm sorry. And like, you know, and that type of that type of transparency is actually like that type of transparency is like keeping that is like a way of keeping up or whatever with not but the a way of saying relevant and fresh like is to have humility and to admit when you're wrong and to have that type of um, reach with your fans like Cher had with you. Madonna feels like she's above that. Exactly. And I think that's why she doesn't yeah. have like that type of relationship. As a result of her money, her power, her access to these dogs no one's ever heard of, like, really thinks she knows something that none of us else knows. And that's also part of her ego identity of being, and it goes back to what you were saying, Abba, about that idea of Madonna as the white savior. Like, it goes directly back to that. There is this other aspect where she really, she's used this word before, like, she thinks of herself as a quote-unquote freedom fighter. She thinks of herself as a revolutionary, but you're not. Like, you could be, but you've never put in the work. Like, you've never done the real action that it takes to be those things. But she's just so attached to the identity, the branding, or, like, the, the vision she has of herself as the savior. I think the only time she's genuinely been that was during the AIDS crisis when she really stepped up in a way other mainstream celebrities doing that and I think that was real that was genuine but like that's the only time she's really like put the action like put the thought in action you know yeah she's not that girl anymore she's not like going to like bald anymore. like she's no not, she's not she's no. not part of that world and I think 
also uh, to go back to the white savior thing you know there's also like this thing where some of her her because she's so big a lot of her stuff is just representational and that's what people are fighting against now it's like we don't want representational shit we want it to be real like we'd much rather put throw our support behind an independent artist a smaller artist and watch them grow and acquire a medium-sized fan base than behind somebody like madonna who like of course she loves gay people of course she works with the gay community but like she's also you know um accidentally outed one of her dancers as queer you know yeah and, back and in it's the day like, yeah yeah, yeah Which, like, like back then it was like uh, that was yeah. huge and right she didn't, and she didn't care honestly she yeah, didn't care like she was like what's the big deal and yeah, but exactly. i do that's the issue. and i'm not making excuses for her at all but i just think that like i mean you know, I think that when we look at anyone that's sort of problematic or like sort of acting in these ways, like obviously it doesn't just happen out of the blue. You know what I mean? Like she lost her mom when she was like six years old. She grew up in a very like starved for love, you know, sort of environment. And then making that move to New York and just hardening up and being like, just becoming this like tough bitch and like losing that empathy and losing that ability to relate to other people. You know, like, I don't think that she's malicious, but she is completely unapologetic and completely self-involved because that's all that she ever learned how to be. And I think that her self-involvement was also part of her self-preservation in those early New York days, and she never evolved past it. She never evolved past that. And not to be corny, but hurt people hurt people. And I think she's, yeah. Yeah, I think she's the kind of person who I like. I mean, I'm not a fucking therapist, but yes, I think you are. Hey, stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> I don't think she's the kind of person who can, like, if you hold up a mirror to Madonna and you're like, look at what you're doing, I don't think she'd be like, oh no. I think she'd be like, I look good. Like, that's exactly what yeah. it is. Like, and then, and then if you put that mirror to her and asked her to, like, like she'd be like, why the fuck are you doing this? Are you some kind of ageist? Are you a misogynist? Yeah. Yeah, she's you know, mad at you. Like, yeah. Yeah. but I once, I once had, I've had many yeah. dreams about Madonna over the years. Like, especially when I was a kid, I used to have so many Madonna dreams. And that's beautiful. It kind of reminded me of this scene from Evita when she's dancing with Antonio Banderas. In the dream, I was waltzing with Madonna. We were at this party and we were dancing together. And it was my one chance to tell her, I'm like, Madonna, I'm on your side, but we need to talk about these things. Okay. Like we need to just be honest. And I was able to just tell her everything that we were discussing. And it felt so good. I felt so good to just like hold her and just tell her because I want her to be well. I don't, she didn't really say anything. Um, But I just, I, I want her to be well. You know, and, but I, I don't know if that's within the realm of possibilities. Like, I feel like it's, it's getting darker and darker for her, to be honest. It's like, it's not getting better. It's really getting worse. She needs a reset. She needs a reset if she wants. I think her, that's her last fighting chance. And I think it would require some type of, I don't want to say divine intervention, but yeah, divine intervention. Like, I don't, I can't think of like, if if anyone in her circle hasn't pulled her aside and has been like chill now, like up to this point, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't you know, think it's going to happen. The, I think the her, only person her, yeah. who could have done it, and he gets a lot of flack from the diehard fans, is her manager, Guy Osiri, 
who I think is like very much like her in his own ways. Um, and so he's like the main Madonna gatekeeper, you know, like he's the main person, the main co-conspirator with her. And I don't think there's any way for him to say that to her because I think that he suffers from a lot of the same things that she does. Oh, this, and like, you know, you touched on something. Ego, you know, driven, yeah. money-driven shit. Yeah, you really touched on something there. Something that we talk about a lot on the podcast too is like, um, we always bring up like, you, you know, very young white women who were scooped up by producers um, and are kind of fed um, just like, absolute lies or like they're they're fed power and the people around them they're not going to tell tell the women no you actually you need to switch up you need to apologize because then they stop making money like i know like, oh my I god like everyone Brittany, in yeah. like obviously we don't need to go there but like that's something that i have felt like so strongly about like she is surrounded by enablers the people who are just making the money offered they do not want her to get well they just want her to keep going but it's stupid because if they that's- They don't care really, about the quality. No, they don't care about any of that. But it's stupid because if that's really their goal, like they should realize that actually, you know what? If you invested in this person's health, they'll be able to keep going for longer. Yeah, but that's anti-capitalist. That is just not how we function as a society. What I was going to say. Yeah. No, Abba, go I'll say it, please. Is what you were saying also in your Emancipation Day. Yeah, which I was really? like- and, I just loved what you like said because I feel I feel Truly. so no, but I I feel so profoundly anti-capitalist. Like I mean, I've been feeling that way for a while, you know, like not just in the last few months, but just in general, like just, you know, trying to be an entertainer and be and it's this industry where we are we do have to hustle non-stop. And I'm like, and everyone is so ego-driven and no matter what people achieve. It's never enough. Everyone wants more, 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 more. And I was just like, maybe not articulating it as anti-capitalist thought, even though that's what it was, but I was just always like, there is a better way to do this. Like there is a way for us to be creative and artistic and live off of our art without having to be enslaved. I don't want to use that term, sorry, but like just, you know, just um, so entrenched in this dysfunctional system. Like, there has to be a way out of it. Yeah. There has to be a way out of it. You said so like invent like investing in artist health, like that makes so much sense, but it's Because like even for us as like comedians or and actors and like just everyone that's doing this, it's like how do you keep that joy in what you do when you are just trying to stay alive in a system? Like you said so perfectly in your CBC video where it's like you lose that real life, you know, in the pursuit of like wealth and what we have been trained to think of as security. Mm -hmm. Like we just, mm -hmm. we lose relationships. We lose our yes. ability to be present. And it's really yeah, devastating. Yeah. And it's devastating. And I'm really, I'm really learning about radical love and loving yourself radically and loving your community radically. And initially when I was reading about that stuff and kind of just like hearing other people's opinions about it, I was like, how can you love yourself radically? Like it doesn't make <laughs> sense, but it absolutely does make sense. Yeah. Radical love is love outside of capitalism, love 
reimagined in a way that's like sustainable for an entire community as opposed to like one person eats and the rest of us just have to wait for our turn that'll never come it's like if we are able to just exchange resources amongst each other in a way that's truly like uninhibited in a way that's not being sustained by any type of system that seeks to make money off of our livelihood not just like like labor like truly make money off of who we are as human beings i think the world would be like the music industry let's not even talk about the world but the music industry would change so drastically oh my god i think that so many things would also be so much more accessible because like let's even talk about concerts like in order to go to a beyonce concert and have good seats you have to pay hundred thousand dollars what like you're gonna see madonna like same thing yeah and it's like okay this is i hate that i'm using like kanye as an example but like i remember this is like many a summer ago but i worked in a very white space and like all my coworkers went to this kanye concert and like when i looked at it's like everyone on the floor of that concert were like white and it's like that's a pattern that i see and like it's like People who can afford to go to concerts are obviously going to be, especially let's talk, I don't know, like an ACC show in Toronto. Most of the people coming are from like outside of the city. They're driving in. And it's like, it's so weird because that music does not reflect those people's experiences. But yet those are the people who get to see it. Also, what's so weird now is that like, like even I would say like 10 to 15 years ago, the only people charging those absolutely insane prices were the people who've been around for like 30 years, like the legends, you know? But now you see like literally like Ariana charging like $350. Like, I'm sorry, like, no. all about demand 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 and supply demand and supply and, and but i don't I think, think that, i don't like, think that's gonna go back though i just think that like no. you know yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't know how that can recover in that way because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like we've all been re-examining our relationship to money mm-hmm. and how we spend and amongst mm-hmm. all the many things that we're re-examining mm-hmm. and like you know i don't see myself mm-hmm. spending who's worth that you know like oh. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Like recently, in the past two years, like, I would I've been rather doing- my favorite singers do a totally stripped down show. I don't need the like yeah. all the insane like you know staging stuff. Like I just want to see you. Yeah. You know exactly. Oh. The past two years, I've been doing this thing where like I'll just go through like the rotate this. Um, tickets uh the tickets that are available for purchase and like see what bands that i like that are coming into town and i'll see them for at most 80 dollars at most you know and it's like these are artists who live a true artist's life they're obviously making a living they're living well but they're not living um in a way that harms um other people they're not living in a way that harms their fans because they're like like I'll see a, a band like Little Dragon and their ticket prices will be only $35. They've been around for like over a decade and they're still charging only $35. And I know that when I go and see that concert, they're going to give me pure vocals. They're going to give me pure music. I'm not going to be watching the fucking screen. I can watch the screen yeah. at home, you know? Which is like literally like what the opposite of Madonna did on her last tour because now Madonna is at a point where like, she can't really sell out as many arenas as she used to be able to um, because again, she's been so alienating. So instead she like did a smaller theater show, which is really cool. Like that idea is really cool. Um, And again, I heard the show was brilliant, 
but like this was a way to just like gouge the hardcore fans so like the first few rows were like a thousand dollars and more you know and like doing multiple nights in the same city so it's like the same fans like spending a thousand dollars like night after night after night and like because they will but i think that's cruel because you know that they will and i just think that that's like really taking advantage you know Um, oh my god she's like she's like a vampire (laughs) truly she's like sucking them but i think like despite despite like all the horribleness of (laughs) madonna like for me anyway like i think just because she was so fundamental to my upbringing to me feeling okay as a queer person and trying to process that as a kid like that was all thanks to her so for me like no matter what happens i'm always going to love her you know like i'm gonna hate her too but the love doesn't go away just because there's hate as well. You know, like the both feelings really exist for me. Um, but like, I just, and I think that it's important that like, you know, at the end of the day, this is still like a woman who triumphed in like one of the most male dominated industries and just fucking did it, you know? And I think that that will always remain inspiring to me. Um, but she's a complicated, you know, difficult, complicated, um, for sure, problematic yeah. woman. And I think that having conversations about celebrities, and I mean, even sometimes when I listen to old episodes and like I'm talking about certain celebrities, and I take such a hard stance, I'm like, I hate them. Right. And like, <laughs> obviously, so much of that is coming from like a space of like this person lives a type of life that actively harms people that look like me people that have to live like me but i think that moving forward is like there's so many things that require nuance but there are people i will give nuance there were people there are people that i will not give nuance to you know and madonna i requires requires nuance you know she's been through a lot she's given a lot she's also harmed a lot but it's like you can't you can't look at one side with her career without examining the other. You don't get a full um, view of her her legacy. Exactly. And I, and think, I just think like even think just like useful. as a psychological study, like she's really fascinating in that sense. And like you were saying, Abba, like that idea of, well, some people warrant that nuance and other people, we don't need to, you know, give that nuance to. And I agree with that. But I think also like when it comes to like, and what's so fun about your show is that like, I feel like with all the artists that you've spoken about, like, it's like, it's also talking about the negative and the fun stuff and the critique, you know, like, because to me, like when you're a kid, like you blindly love and worship someone like Madonna, but you would think that as you grow up, like, how could, it's not realistic. And it, and it's not a good thing to just, you know, give someone like just this clean pass every time. And to me, like what it really means to be, it's yeah, exactly. But to me, like part of the fun of being like a fan, like of anyone is to go deep in that sense. And like to examine the things that are wrong. Like to me, that's part of the almost fun of being a fan, you know? So like when I see these like diehard Madonna fans or like diehard Lady Gaga fans, like when you say one negative thing and they explode, I'm like, you know, you're not a real fan. If you just blindly love everything someone does, you're not a real fan. That's absolutely because you don't want to see that person grow. You don't want to see, you don't want to give that person depth of character. You don't want to give them anything. Yeah. You just want to see them as like whatever pedestal you have them on in your yeah. mind. And like any moment that like 
even wobbles a bit. No, no, they're sacred to me. And it's like, no, something can be sacred to you and you can have a beautiful relationship with an artist while still being, while still, like you're saying, hating them. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Almost everyone I love, I hate, you know? Like, (laughs) honestly, like I... I love and hate Jennifer Lopez. I love and hate Barbara Streisand. Like, I honestly, the only person who I like love purely with no hate at all is Kylie Minogue. Um, like, that's it. Like, she is just a pure glittery angel. <laughs> yeah. Same. And years ago, Jake Shears from the Scissor Sisters said it perfectly. And he's like, Madonna is the Wicked Witch of the West and Kylie is Glinda. Like, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> and, who's Dor- and who's Dorothy? Oh my God, that I don't know. I guess Brittany? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's lost. So, I mean, maybe oh Brittany. Brittany's just trying to find know. her way home. I I don't know. Brittany might be the, the the witch who gets hit by the house. <laughs> Isn't that what's her name? <laughs> oh, anyways, I feel like I feel like That's my no, reference is so off with Wizard of Oz. Actually, Brittany, oh my god, we do. We really got her there. Um, I had a dream the other night where I went to rescue her. <gasps> And it was like it was. I know it's really boring to talk about dreams, but like it was so vivid. Like I was trying to get her into this car. I'm like, Brittany, we have to go now. We have to go now. And like trying to get her in this car. I'm like, just drive, just drive. This okay. This this must be affecting you. If you're dreaming about it, you really must be thinking about Brittany. I and I think like oh. How can you not? How can you not? With more coming out, with more information coming out about what's going on with her. Apparently, there's an interview with her dad that just came out. I refuse to read it. I don't think I can. Oh, I didn't That's even disgusting. Hear about whatever, that, whatever publication. I don't want to hear anything well, he's just a liar he has anyways. to say. You can't believe yeah. anything that, that he says. So disgusting. Yeah. Anyone yeah. listening to whatever he has to say. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's it's ridiculous. Ooh. But Trina, I want to go back before I think we're we're getting close to the end here. But I want to go back to what you said, like we yeah. just about like you know loving somebody and hating them at the same time i think like call like collectively millennials um are kind of coming to this point where we're investigating stan culture like stan culture really really reached a peak i would say like in like literally at the end of last year at the end of 2019 and and now that we're going through this like global pandemic and we're talking about capitalism we're talking about burning down systems that continue to oppress us a lot of people are like investigating celebrity culture but we're investigating stan culture at the same point it's like up until now i felt like on twitter they were very like non-nuanced conversations happening like when i first really started getting onto twitter i was in the prime of my i'd say like sexual activity and everyone on twitter was like looking to cardi b and being like yeah make him pay for this and make him pay for that and da 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 and and obviously i agreed with it i was like this is feminism and i like this type of feminism i like that men are going to have to pay for things for me i like that i i'm gonna sleep with a man who's 50 while i'm 20 years old but but it's like there was no nuance in that and we were all standing cardi so hard that like as a world I was just like making mistakes that I don't think were so detrimental to the point that like I want to take them back I definitely think they were lessons but at the same time it was like 
if I had seen the other side, if somebody had told me like, yeah, like if you want that, that's fine. And women who want that, people who want that, absolutely go for that. But I was at such an impressionable age. It's like, I wish I had seen the other side of that. I wish I had been able to make like an informed decision. So I'm so happy that like the next generation is just going to be far more nuanced about how they are fans of things, you know? I totally agree with that. I feel like also like in particular regards to stan culture, I think one of the things that makes it challenging is like years ago, I saw this amazing documentary called For the Love of Dolly. And it was a documentary about three different Dolly Parton fans, but like hardcore Dolly Parton fans, like their whole like homes were like Dolly memorabilia. And just like, they were like, they lived their whole lives for Dolly. And I think one of the things that does not really get talked a lot about in terms of like stand culture is like the mental health aspect, because for a lot of these fans, their attachment to the singer is filling a void. It's like, it's the way that people are alcoholics or drug addicts. There is something in the fandom and feeling this connection to this imaginary figure that is filling the void. And it's really actually emotional. And I think sometimes that's why it becomes so hard for them when they see someone say something negative about their person, because they take it personally, because their own identity is so entrenched in yes and you can see like toxic fandom like identity yeah and it manifests in like it can manifest in like that toxic fan murdering the person sometimes or sometimes that extreme but i think most of the time it's just it's more just like when you feel held back in your life like to be honest like when i look back at being like a kid or even a teen like i think like i derive so much of my sense of self from like being a madonna fan like it was filling some kind of void. Like I was like a lonely kid in high school. Like this sort of like, was this thing that I was like putting so much of myself into, you know? But then like when you do become a more self-actualized person, like that kind of fandom can't really exist anymore, you know? Like I can't be a fan of Madonna in the same way when I was a kid because I'm not that kid anymore. You know what I mean? Like. I have my own life. Like I have my own stuff going on and it's still fun to be a fan, but like, it's not filling this void anymore for me. You know, I mean, it's been a long time that it hasn't, but I think like that there is this aspect of like, you know, just projection and, you know, just filling the void. It's like, I don't have to look at my life or my own pain or what I'm going through. If I can just distract myself with like Dolly memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I I was for sure, for sure, like a fan fan girl in high school. Like I had a Tumblr dedicated to like my favorite bands. You cannot tell me shit about them. Absolutely not. But I'm so happy, right? But I'm so happy at the same time that I was really engaging with these bands and learning truly so many things about them that I should not have known. At the same time that I was engaging with this like stan culture before we called it stan culture i was also learning about feminist practice i was also learning about disability culture i was also learning about anti-racism and i think that that gave me like a self-awareness near the end of like that stage of my adolescence where if i i did not have it i would you know, when somebody would tell me about something about my favorite bands when I was like 19, 20, after coming out of this fangirl phase, it was like, 
of course I'll stop listening to that person if they're problematic. Of course I'll stop supporting their work and stop throwing money at their like empire. And I think that if I didn't have that foundation and if I didn't have that community teaching me, of course I would still be like, I'd probably be on Twitter right now cussing people out and saying, leave Beyonce alone. Right. But you know, <laughs> thankfully, engaging in discourse has allowed yeah. me to be more critical. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just like, yeah, I think it's also just it's more interesting to have these kinds of conversations than just get together and like blindly praise someone that's boring. You know, exactly. like it's not, also, it's not it, interesting. It, it betters the listening experience too, I feel. Yeah, like. for sure. If you listen to Although artist, like I remember when I read Madonna's brother's memoir called Life with My Sister Madonna, when I read that, like I was not able to listen to her for months after. Like it shattered so many illusions. Like that's when I really started to become aware of like, the darkness that lurks within Madonna. It's a juicy, it's a fun read. I was gonna say we have to we have to wrap up, but before yeah, we do, yeah. what was the what was like the most stand-up moment from the book titled My Sister? What's it called? Living with Life my with sister my sister Madonna. Madonna. Life with my sister Madonna. Um Oh it was a lot of it was uh, the money stuff. So like her brother worked with her a lot. So he was the director on a couple of her tours. He also was a designer and he designed a lot of her homes, like doing the interior design. So buying the furniture, buying all this stuff. And then there was this part in the book where he talks about how he was putting together one of her new homes and like buying all this stuff as they had agreed upon. And then I forget what the disagreement was, but then she didn't want to pay him. Um, and she like really fucked him over. Um, and there was a lot of that in their relationship and just her sort of like always undermining him and treating him like shit, even though he was working with her. Like, this is not just a brother-sister relationship. This is a professional relationship. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. But th there was like, there were so many instances of that. Like even like making him like pay for his like flight to Europe for her wedding to Guy Ritchie, like just, she's so petty. She's so petty. That's petty. Oh, That's that petty. is petty. Oh. A lot of celebrities are petty. A lot, a lot of celebrities are petty. Um, well, you're not petty. You're, you know who, you're not petty. Grandma. You're not petty. You know who's and petty? if you are, I... No, I was going to say Tom Petty, but that's lame. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say I thought you were going to say for a second your co-host of Chosen Family. No, uh, my God, I mean, no. He's not petty. No, I'm more petty um, than him. Trina, <laughs> <laughs> this has been like a master class in Madonna. And like, we need to, this is, whoever, if you're listening to this and you know someone who's a Madonna fan, like. I feel like yeah, but not like not someone who's going to come and attack us because we said negative no. things. Yeah, no, someone only the fans who are capable. Yeah, exactly. Um, understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've had a great time. This has been such like me a too. I love you both so much. Like, I'm such a fan of your podcast. I'm just, I'm such a fan of both of you as individuals. So this was oh, like honestly amazing. such a dream, such a dream. Honestly, oh, you're a dream. We love I, you so much, and. Yeah. 
please, if you're not already, download, subscribe to Chosen Family. Please do. It's, yeah, yeah. No, that's like a a list. A list. It's great, and even yeah. better is the is Tram Man Tom. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. I just miss you in Montreal so much. I like, miss like, you uh, so much. I miss you. I was. I miss you so much. I wish like the world was normal and I could like go back and visit. It won't be too long. Like I was supposed to do the Toronto Fringe this summer. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I'm signed mm. up to do it next yeah, year. Yeah. So who knows? Oh, we'll beautiful! Oh, it'd but be look, nice. I will be in Toronto. Like you'll be. Yeah. We'll. It's gonna happen. We'll be together face to face. Yes, we soon. will see each other. We'll be. Together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't wait. That'll be a beautiful day. <laughs> oh my god! Well, thank uh, you so much, Trina. And thank yeah, you both I love so you much. so much. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Uh, Bye. Bye. Okay, and we'll, we'll, and, and okay, so you've been listening to Abba. And you've been listening to Beth. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.